Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. So every once in a while, I will actually read the news, which is probably surprising to you, considering you are the one who reads the news and I often avoid it at all costs. A lot of times I'll share the news with you and you still won't read it. Yeah, you send me a lot of links in my text messaging and you ask me, oh, did you read that thing I sent you? And I often sheepishly have to reply and tell you no. So, hey, I'm getting better. I'm reading more of your links. Aren't you proud of me? (laughs) You don't look proud of me. You should be. But every once in a while, maybe this is one of the reasons why I don't read the news because of what I'm about to say. But every once in a while, I will actually read a news story and... Then it like, it kind of just sticks in my mind. Like, think about it. It like just details of it pop up into my mind, like in the middle of my sleep, in the middle of like eating or cooking or whatever I'm doing. And it just like makes you uncomfortable. Does that ever happen to you with news stories or is that just me? Sometimes I read so many that the the bad ones will just get covered by a wash of other bad stories and then it all just kind of amalgamates and then I forget about it. But there's one particular story that stood out to you and I want to hear about it in just a moment. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. So what was this news story that you had heard? Yeah. So recently um, I read about a shooting in Thailand. This happened on a couple weeks ago, October 6th. And it, I guess it was more than a shooting, right? It was actually a massacre. So there was a former policeman who killed 34 people, including 23 children, during a knife and gun rampage at a daycare center in Northeast Thailand. So police said uh, before later shooting his wife and child at home, that he went to this daycare center and just like went on a rampage. And the children the 23 children that died aged their age range was two to five. You want to know what's crazy about this story as horrific as it is. I feel like it didn't really get covered here in the American media. It didn't like if you didn't know about it, um, considering how horrifying it is, you think this would be major international news, but for some reason it, it wasn't. Yeah. And I mentioned it to a few people and was surprised Again, because I'm not caught up on news stories, I have no idea how I came across this story um, or 
even where I read it, I honestly have no idea. But it's just, it's just been bothering me. And it's probably bothering me more than it would have a few years ago because I have children and because my children are within the age range of those lives that were lost, right? Um, We have an almost two-year-old and a three-year-old. And just thinking about sending them to daycare, somewhere you think they're safe, um, somewhere that you trust, and to hear that someone walked in and and killed him. It's just, it's so heavy. Right. And my first response was just anger, if I'm being honest. Like, just really angry. Um, And, like, reading the headline of 23 children killed, like, I didn't want to click on the article. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to, but the more you read it, like, the more the article was humanized, you know, cause you hear so many terrible stories, so many, um, tragic things that I think we can become really numb and just like, Oh, that's just another story. Like it, they just feel like stories and not like real life situations. Right. Especially when you just hear the numbers and not the, the stories of the individuals yeah. that those numbers represent. Yeah. And it does require you to go deeper into the story to humanize it. Um, But we're just surrounded by terrible headlines all the time that are tragic. And it makes sense why so many people become callous and numb because, like, how do you hold all that? Like, how do you emotionally bear all of those things in your heart and in your mind uh, without just like going, becoming undone. Right. Yeah. We weren't really uh, built uh, with the capacity to assimilate news of every horrible thing that happens in the world in real time. Well, and, and on such mass scale, right in your local community, um, like that's not happening often. I mean, hope not, but um, you often get like a few tragedies in your lifetime that really, They really take you down and that really require you to spend a lot of time like emotionally processing through those things. But because we have so much technology and the access to just like any piece of information from any part of the world, great or small, it becomes, yeah, just overwhelming and like the inability to process it. Um, And for me, like I've, I just don't know why this one just hit me harder than so many other stories that we've read, even within the last couple of years. Um, but I've been a Christian like most of my life and would consider my faith to be strong and grounded and um, built on a good foundation. Yet there's something that still like just doesn't sit well with me. And I don't think it should sit well with anyone, but it's that common questions that Christians and non-Christians alike ask. And that is, how can God allow suffering in our world. If God sees all things and knows all things and nothing on this earth happens without him allowing it, then why does he allow suffering? Yeah. I mean, this is a major question for, like you said, for Christians and non-Christians alike for many non-Christians. This is one of the reasons that they aren't Christians or, 
believers in God because they haven't found a satisfying answer to this question. And even if you do believe in Jesus, even if, if you are uh, a Christian, um, this is a question that yeah, we all wrestle with, and even you know, large portions of Scripture uh, refer, uh, wrestle with. I think about the Book of Job, and even at the end of, the, of Job, we don't necessarily get a satisfying answer. Um, but this is a question that certainly, when we encounter something personally, uh, it's a question that we grapple with. But even just on a global scale, as you said, as every week there are multiple events that are the worst event in the life of a community or in, in one person's lifetime. And we hear about those by the dozens pretty much every single day and every single week. Exactly. And even if you just like Google top questions of Christians, this is one of them. It's like number one almost. This is one of them. And it's it's so hard to like deal with it, right? I think it's a lot easier to reconcile someone's suffering with their own decisions. Like, so let's say, I don't know, we are just ruthless with our finances and we are not ruthless, reckless, reckless is probably a better word, right? <laughs> maybe like, we're who are we being too. ruthless to? Yeah. <laughs> maybe we're, we're ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we're reckless with our finances and like anything we want, we just purchase. And now we're in just like this massive amount of debt and we're suffering, like we're dealing with the weight of that. We're dealing with um, everything that comes alongside just overwhelming debt. It's easy to look at that situation and say, well, you did this to yourself. Like your, your decisions, like every time you swipe that card, like you were, you were making yourself go further down this path of suffering, right? Right. Not to discount the suffering, but at least well, it makes sense. Yes. So not to say we shouldn't have empathy and like, compassion in those situations, but at least it's like, okay, I, I know how we got here. But with other types of suffering and tragedy, like innocent children ages two to five being shot and killed or even stabbed to death, like where is that connection? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Like there's no sense to be made out of it. And there are <laughs> a lot of like go-to answers I think that Christians have. Um and I think they use these answers because we don't exactly have the answer, right? Right. But the stock answers are better than no answer. Are they? For the most part. They'll... I mean, sometimes. So today I want to talk about this because it's it's important. It's important for us to understand the theology of suffering and what what is God doing when it comes to suffering? Is he the reason people are suffering, like how can we think about suffering um, in a biblically accurate way? So first I want to talk about some of the go-to answers um, and we'll kind of look at some passages and reasons why people usually go to these answers. All right. So probably one of the ones that we hear the most, especially when it something happens, it's tragic, uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, a lot of times we hear this passage from Isaiah quoted. It's Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this is speaking from the perspective of God who is saying, there's no way you can even understand the calculus of the decisions that I make and the ways that I move. 
in the finiteness of your humanity. Right. And like, is that a good answer? It's an answer. It's an answer, right? And usually within the context of faith, you're like, well, of course, of course, God's thoughts are like so much um, like greater than mine. They're so far beyond me and my ability to think if he is the creator and I'm the created one, like certainly he's going to have more thoughts and more in-depth and profound thoughts than I'm ever going to have, right? It's the headline of, of the day. God thinks more than I do. Yeah, God thinks more than I do. He's and been he, doing it slightly longer than I've been doing it <laughs> and with a little bit more complexity. He thinks so much deeper than I think. <laughs> this is uh, groundbreaking. Groundbreaking new new truths being discovered. Yeah, welcome to Kindness Project. Uh, so I actually wanted to like see if this was a good verse to use when it came to this topic of suffering. And um, I wouldn't say this is not truthful. Like the idea of like God's thoughts being greater than yours is not a, just a statement of truth. Right. Like it's in the Bible. Right. It's yeah. accurate. But is that what Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 is talking about? Is Isaiah 55 talking about the reason suffering exists in the world? Surprise, surprise. (laughs) It's not. So the context of this verse is actually in relation to salvation. So I want us to read just the first, the two verses that come before these ones, um, just to really see what's happening. Yeah, and those verses say, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Yeah, and after that, it jumps into, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and like the familiar verses right after right. that. It's immediately after that. So what's being talked about here is God's willingness to freely forgive and extend mercy uh, on the most egregious sin. Like So he pardons freely without grudge and with the fullest extent of forgiveness you can possibly imagine. So that's the context of like God's thoughts are greater than yours is his mercy is greater than yours. His ability to forgive is greater than yours. Whereas mankind would have limits of their forgiveness or limits of the kind of mercy they extend. Like, don't you know what this person did to me? How could I ever possibly forgive them? This verse is saying God's love, mercy, and forgiveness is so grand that it's far beyond what you can even imagine in like your human mind. Yeah, so the context of these verses isn't so much a justification for the existence of something that's evil. It's a justification for the fact that God forgives beyond what we think is reasonable, what we think is even right sometimes. And that was certainly the case for the people of Israel. Think about Jonah, who didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites, who were a part of uh, this evil empire that was threatening Israel. Israel as a nation, they were brutal people. There was all kinds of things that were happening that were, you know, truly atrocious. And so Jonah didn't want to go to preach to them. And the reason they didn't want to go to preach repentance to them is because if they turned, he knew that God would be merciful to them and he didn't want them to have mercy. Right. And so that's the context of God saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are better than your ways. As far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how much better they are because you would torch everybody to the ground that ever slighted you. Yeah. Whereas... 
I'm freely give, giving mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it's not to say it's not a general truth that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts in every capacity, but this specific piece of scripture or this specific section of scripture that we often like to use when tragedy happens um, is not like a, a direct correlation. It's definitely not the author's intent um, because we're talking about like God's great mercy and his great love rather than the reason, suffer- the reason suffering exists in our world. So what you're telling me is that we still don't have an answer for why suffering exists. We don't. Okay. Well, let's try On and to the next one. dig deeper into that, but we'll do that in, in just a moment. Okay. So just now you shot down verses that are used to explain why suffering and evil exists in the world. Uh, now what? So another common take on suffering, or I guess an answer to suffering, which is a far less kind take on suffering, but it's it's one I've heard, and so I think it's worth dealing with and uh, talking about on this podcast, and that is uh, tragedy and suffering happens to a person because of the sin in their life. And certainly there's some truth to that, right? Like if you... If you put your hand over fire, like you're going to get burned. Like that's just like cause and effect. So there are cause and effects like that's real and it's reality and it's part of the way God's created our world. But is that the reason why a tragedy such as the one that we talked about earlier happens? Um, And I'm sure most of you are like, well, no, of course not. But surprisingly, I remember um, during Hurricane Katrina, uh, when it had wiped out Louisiana, uh, there there were a lot of people, a lot of Christians particularly, that were saying, like, this was God's way of cleansing and um, driving out all of the evil in Louisiana. Like, they turned away from God. They started um, practicing witchcraft and, like, black magic and all of this, like, satanic stuff. So... God sent this hurricane to, like, clean it up. Have you heard that? I have, yeah. I mean, I've heard that anytime there's some kind of a disaster where um, politically conservative Christians view that place as, you know, being liberal or debaucherous or whatever it might be, that's something that comes up pretty much every time there's some kind of a disaster. It's like, well, this is God's judgment on you for whatever. Like this Sodom and Gomorrah type thing, right? Right. Like they always want to bring it back to like, well, we've seen God do it before. So of course this is the way that he's dealing with entire like communities and entire like populations of people is he's just wiping them out. Right. What's interesting about the Katrina one in particular too, is the, um, the recovery process after Katrina in New Orleans was uh, disproportionate in some areas of the city, um, namely the uh, well-off white portions or the the portions of that city that brought in a lot of white tourist money. Those places were up and running in like eighteen months. Mm-hmm. There's if places you look, that still aren't right. Yeah, so if you look at later. the the more um, uh, economically disadvantaged and particularly a lot of the the black neighborhoods, like in the Ninth Ward, uh, really still haven't recovered. Their entire neighborhoods and places that don't even have grocery stores um, because 
it's just not resourced. And a lot of the times the the reason for that is economic injustice and racial injustice in a systemic way. And it's just kind of ironic that the people who said that Hurricane Katrina was a a judgment from God on that city are the same people that won't recognize the fact that there are systemic sins that are keeping a large portion of that same city from rebuilding and bouncing back from that hurricane literally like two decades later. Yeah. It's, and it's just such a sad way to view it, right? It's such a sad way to view like even God's care and love for people is, uh, it kind of, and not kind of, it comes across very self-righteous, very arrogant. Like I am not experiencing bad things because I'm living this holy, righteous life. Right. But you are like, I'm seeing the tragedy in your life. And that is how, like, I can see why it's happening. Yeah. And really, because this you're is, so sinful. This is the error that goes all the way back to Job mm-hmm. because Job yep. was suffering and his friends were like, well, what did you do? You must have done something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be experiencing the suffering that you're experiencing. So confess whatever sin that you did mm-hmm. that led to this. And there was there was a disconnect there because that's not how suffering works in every instance. There are situations in the Old Testament where God, through the prophet, said, unless you repent of this you know, to the nation of Israel, I'm going to send some kind of plague on you. Um, but... It's weird how we would apply that universally to every situation where God has not declared that or spoken that. Uh, there are specific, you know, limited situations where God did do that, but that's not how He operates in every situation. And we, and apart from some revelation of God, we ought not to assume that that's the case. And that's the lesson we get from Job. Yes, and we actually see this very same question come up in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus heals the blind man and his disciples say, like they see the blind man and they go to Jesus and they ask, uh, who sinned his parents or him? Like one of those has to be the reason why he's blind. Right. And Jesus actually responds was neither this man nor his parents sinned. Um, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, uh, which brings up like another angle of suffering, right? And God's role in suffering is if you just take this verse or Jesus's response at face value, you might look at it and say, wow, so this blind man was blind so that Jesus could receive glory. Like that seems really tainted and twisted, right? Well, if you're a Calvinist, that's the way you would see it, that God brought blindness onto this man for the purpose of bringing himself glory in the same way that from eternity past, predestining people to go to heaven and predestining other people to go to hell from eternity past brings him glory in some way that we don't understand because, because, his because Isaiah higher. 55. Yes. Okay. But do you see how those, like those, that's hard to reconcile those things because when we look at Isaiah, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. Right. But now we're going to take this understanding of suffering um, and understanding of God's sovereignty um, and his like, his ability to do whatever he wants on the earth, which is fair because he's God, but for him to actively choose to, I'm going to make you blind so that I can be glorified. But isn't that what the text says? Are we distorting the text by interpreting it a different way? Cause it says he was blind so that 
the glory of God might be displayed? Are we doing some kind of gymnastics to interpret it a different way than the plain reading of God sent it so that he would be glorified by it? So that would be the plain re- the plain reading of the English translation, right? Ooh. So when you look into the Greek, uh, this can actually... You just Jesus juke somebody in Greek. <laughs> so that's a plain this... reading if you read it in the English. <laughs> Not in the Greek. Why Come did you on phrase now. it that way? Like I, I am not sitting here reading my Bible in Greek. Like that would, that would take me an hour just to read like one line. So no, but in the Greek, this particular phrase could be understood as a result clause or a purpose clause. What's the difference between those two? So result would be, um, this man is blind, and as a result, Jesus is going to use it for good for His glory, or purpose. Like this man was blind for the purpose of God's glory. And that would be the more Calvinistic yes. kind of yes. approach to it. So if um, there's a Calvinist listening, we're not trying to throw shade at you, but as you can probably tell, we're not landing in that camp. <laughs> Transparency. So we can, we can argue about it later, but right. Um, and, and as you look at scripture in whole as a whole, right. And understanding like what is, like God's role, Jesus's role, because particularly we're seeing like Jesus talking about um, glory being being brought back to Him. The understanding is Jesus genuinely cares for people, and you see that when He's He's encountering people full of sin uh, over and over and over. You see Him ha- like having meals with sinners and talking to them, and just like telling them like get up and go sin no more, and offering them this better way to live so it's it's very difficult to read this and and come to the conclusion that i'm gonna make you blind so that i can be glorified like that doesn't seem to track with everything else we're reading in scripture of who of who jesus is and his heart for his creation so so then where does suffering come from if god didn't actively give it to us that's a really great question so the reality of suffering in in all of its like forms even as a result of sin is we can see very clearly in scripture that suffering is not something that god created he did not create evil it entered into the world when the angel fell who we now know as Satan, which again, I think we talked about this in the last episode that like God doesn't even give him a name. He just called the adversary. Um, and so that like changed the entire operating world. Like that changed everything. Sin entering into the world absolutely changed everything. And what we have to continue to reconcile with is you have sin in the world, but God has also given man freedom of choice. Right? Like he's not holding us around like puppets and controlling us. So with the negative side of sin and the positive side of free choice, like you put those things together. I thought you were going to say the positive side of sin. No, the negative side of sin, the positive side of free choice. But you put those together in someone who has who has ill motive and who has evil motives. All of a sudden, the freedom of choice becomes like a very negative thing to society. And so it's not God actively bringing evil into the world but there is that aspect of 
why is God not stopping evil? And then that enters into the theology of the fact that God has given all of mankind, all of humanity, the freedom to choose things. Yeah, and in, in terms of just going back to not only the, the evil beginning evil, but like what even evil is, is I've heard it theologically framed this way, and it's been kind of formative for me, is that evil actually isn't something that exists in itself. It's not a a, a force that is um, an active thing. It's actually... Uh, the absence of something. Evil is not the presence of something, it's the absence of something, and it's the absence of God's goodness. It's the the privation of the goodness of God. And so when you look at the Genesis account where there was nothing but the goodness of God, but then when sin entered the world, there was, there was a fissure in the shalom is the Hebrew word, in the wholeness, in the holistic system that he had created to where now there was this privation of the goodness of God. The goodness of God didn't completely leave because we're still made in God's image. What he created was still good, but now there is this um, deprivation of God's goodness, and that's what evil is, that wherever we see evil, it is the absence of something. It's the absence of what God had intended the fullness of goodness to be for that thing, Uh, whether it's our bodies, whether it's the government systems that we have, whether it's Mm. nature itself. Right. um, It's broken. There's an absence of the complete fullness of God's goodness. And that's what evil is. And so sometimes that is perpetrated by specific events of someone doing something that is devoid of the goodness of God that then proliferates in evil consequences. Um, but then there's just the fact that this, the whole system is broken. And so a system that has you know holes in it is going to mm. leak. Yeah. And that's such a good way to phrase it too. And that question of then why does God allow, you know, X, Y, and Z, but yet we love the fact that we get freedom of choice, right? We love the fact that Jesus doesn't force himself upon us and that we're not forced into this relationship with him and that we're not forced to do all these other things. But yet on the other end, we want God to intervene when we want him to intervene and we don't want him to intervene when we don't want him to intervene. And so even that is a bit of a distorted view of God and our relationship with him is we love what, what makes our life as an individual better. And we're mad when God doesn't do that, when he's not in support of those things. And then all of a sudden we look at him and say like, you, you certainly cannot be a good God if you allow X, Y, and Z to happen. But if you were to force me to be in a relationship with you, then you're also not a good God in that regard. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And you even think about like, so just the evil things that aren't necessarily a result of a specific sin, but a result mm-hmm. of the fact that sin has resulted in evil. You think of something like cancer. Right. Now, like no one, no one made a decision for that to happen. Right. It's just the natural kind of outpouring of this is what happens when the whole thing is broken. Now, there are times when when God does contravene the natural order of what things are now, where God can miraculously heal cancer and things Mm -hmm. like that. And sometimes he does, but then sometimes he doesn't. And this is kind of a hard truth, but to 
to an extent, like God has no moral obligation to contravene the natural result of sinfulness and evilness that is in our world. Like he gave us a perfectly holistic world. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that broke it. The fact that he does anything at all about it is all a testament to his grace. Right. And then to pull that into Jesus mm-hmm. is that he has ultimately done that in that our biggest problem wasn't cancer or mm. disaster. Right. But our ultimate problem was that this privation of God's goodness is ultimately going to lead to our death. And our death apart from him is an ultimate death. And so through Jesus is bringing a a new sense of wholeness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus rose from the dead, there is this promise that what was broken will now be fixed. And all the effects of sinfulness and evil will be mended and that happens instantly in our souls when we come to to faith in jesus uh, from a positional standpoint and then we begin to see the practical aspects of that breaking through you know throughout the course of our lives in the midst of an evil place and us in the midst of our own evilness are seeing redemption come to pass even if it's not always as much as we want with the promise that eventually in the new heavens and the new earth there will be a new shalom and all there will no longer be a privation of God's goodness. Right. It'll, we'll, we'll regain it. Yeah. So the fact that God didn't just leave the world to unravel, um, and end up in its own demise with, without the opportunity of salvation for anybody is a testament to God's grace. So what God could have done and in no way could we say he's at fault, right? By, saying he made this perfect world, we messed it up, and now we just get to live with that. The fact that he did intervene and he did step in by sending his son is a testament to his grace, and through that, he is glorified, as opposed to the view that he made evil so that he can like now receive glory. Yeah, God isn't glorified Uh by evil for evil's sake that he's glorified that where there is a privation of God's goodness because of us, like we're the ones that broke it, uh, that even, uh, in the midst of that evilness that he can even make evil and suffering work for him. Mm -hmm. That where he, there's an absence of his goodness his goodness is still so big that it can move within those things for our ultimate good. As uh, Romans says that God works through all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And then that's also going to be for his glory because in this cosmic sense, it's, it's an impossibility, Mm -hmm. but he's working through those things. And just another biblical example would be the story of Joseph, right? Yes. Where Joseph had gone through just injustice after injustice, whether it was being sold into slavery, whether it was uh, being lied about, um, 
to his master and then ending up in prison and then uh, helping his fellow prisoners and then them forgetting about him. But then eventually getting to this place where he was in a position of authority and because of the insight that God had given him uh, was able to save myriad people from an impending uh, famine uh, by preparing for it. Um, And there's this verse at the end of Genesis that said where man intended it for evil God intended it for good. And that's what basically as Joseph looks over the course of his life, that's his conclusion on it. But God's not responsible for the evil in the hearts of men. It's just that his goodness is so grand that in the midst of the, even in the midst of the absence of his goodness, his goodness is still working in a a way that isn't going to make sense until the very end of the story. I feel like you summarized that so eloquently as you often do. Uh, so as we look at suffering, what do we know? And I, I guess I will just like pull out a few of the bullets of what you just shared. Uh, we do know that the world was not designed for evil. God did not create it so that evil could exist in it so that he could bring himself glory. Like that is always just such a twisted view of God. Because it makes God the author of evil. Yes. And he's not. Like how can an infinitely good God mm-hmm. be the author of evil? Right. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Evil is the absence of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, God did not create the world to be evil. And we know this to be true because of the fact that we have always existed. We have always lived. We have always like, um, like inhabited a world of evil. Like in my 32 years, I have never known a year or a day that was not full of evil, right? So the very fact that we long for something to be different, the very fact that we are disturbed by evil is in and of itself a marker that that's not the way God created it because we've never known it any other way, yet we have this longing for it to be different. Yeah, this is something that Erwin McManus calls the phantom pains of the soul. Yes. That when someone loses a limb, they have pain in the area where that limb used to be. And in that same way, our soul has pain in the area where we we know that there was something that was lost, that mm-hmm. was fundamental to the human experience that no longer exists. And so that's why we can imagine a world without war when we've never known a world without war. We can imagine yeah. a, a world without poverty that that has never known anything other than poverty. We can imagine a world without injustice when injustice has been a reality through every generation of humanity right we like that it it makes sense to us that 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 those things would exist that that's the way things would be that's why we strive for those things because we have this intrinsic understanding of something that we've lost and that's the presence of god's goodness Mm -hmm. exactly and there are ways that we can practically bring back the presence of god's goodness ultimately those are going to be futile efforts without the Holy Spirit who's working within us to renew us by the blood of Jesus as a foretaste of the ultimate redemption that is only going to come through Jesus and, and for the people uh, to whom Jesus belongs. Right. And one day we, we will no longer see suffering. And so that's a hope that we can hold on to for like the future, those longings of your heart to see evil and to see tragedy and to see suffering completely wiped out, like that day will come. You will get to see that day if you belong to Christ. Uh, and 
I think it's in Revelation that it talks about like there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. Like that is a promise that is going to become a reality. And uh, sometimes I think of like, yes, there is that future hope. There's that expectant hope of what's to come. But how does that hope change what we're doing now? How does that hope make a difference now? Like that's great if we can see it sometime in the future. But what about all of the suffering that we're living in now? What about all of the pain that we're experiencing now? And um, I think the hope that we get to hold on to here and now um, is the, that idea that God is great enough and he is good enough and evil will not overpower him so that he can take the suffering in your life. He can take the tragedy in your life and he can actually work it for good. And that is really hard to accept when you're just hit with tragedy. And please don't go tell somebody that who just like lost a loved one, just lost their house, like just just got hit with tragedy. Please don't walk up to them and say, God is going to turn this for good. Yeah. Don't tell them everything happens for a reason because it doesn't. Sometimes things just happen. And yes, God, don't tell people God's doing this because he's going to teach you a lesson. Yes, God will probably teach you a lesson, but he he's not in he's not inflicting pain on you just so that he can yeah. show you something you didn't realize before. Um those things happened and then he can work through them to produce a good mm-hmm. that you couldn't have imagined. Yes, but it's important to understand God did not create this situation in your life so that he could bring forth goodness. Right. It is in spite of the evil, in the midst of that evil, God will bring forth goodness. And that is hope. Like that is actual hope. But to think like right, because God it, caused my mom to die so that he could bring goodness in my life. Why, why couldn't you have brought goodness while she was here? Right. I mean, and this may sound a little exaggerated, but like saying that God brought suffering into your life to like teach you a lesson or something or show you some kind of ultimate goodness. Like it honestly seems like that idea feels like a- abusive. Well, I was it just feels gonna, like an abusive parent. Yes. Whereas the be because we had separated ourselves from God, there's all these evil things and horrible things that we're now experiencing as the human race. That even in the midst of that, God will swoop back in where we had pushed Him away to bring some goodness out of it that that we wouldn't have have experienced otherwise. And you know, in that mysterious way that that only God can work. Exactly. And if we see God truly as this good father, I could never imagine as much as my children drive me crazy. um, I could never imagine intentionally bringing forth a bad situation into their life so that I could teach them a lesson. But certainly if a bad situation comes, I would hope that I have the wisdom and like the love and the guidance to then like teach them something through that rather than intentionally bringing that so that I can teach them a lesson. And the very fact that I couldn't even imagine doing that. And God is such a, a, I mean, he's a better parent than I am for sure. So the idea that he is like truly this good and perfect father, how is it that that's, that's the way that we understand him to work in suffering? Right. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense that God would be the author of evil. Um, right. Cause he's not, I mean, exactly. and, and Calvinists will disagree with me on that, but we will have to, Agree to, to disagree yeah. on that one because, yeah. yeah, it's just, 
Yeah, so ultimately the hope we have is one day suffering and evil will be completely wiped out. But until that moment comes, we are going to continue to endure suffering um, and we're going to continue to endure tragedy. But the hope that Christians have that not anyone else has in the world is God promises to use those situations for good. Um, And as a result, he certainly will be glorified. But in those very difficult moments in your life, like God will bring forth goodness. And that is actually a promise that he makes to us that we can hold on to and we can um, find a, a very true and real hope in the midst of those situations. Yeah. And there's something kind of paradoxical about the Christian life in that we are called to suffer for the sake of others, that because we hold true to the message of the gospel and the convictions we have in Jesus, that that will in many ways invite suffering in our lives. But through that suffering, that it might decrease the suffering of others around us in an eternal sense. And then as we live out our Christian convictions, whenever we are laying down our own comforts, uh, we are struggling, we are striving to decrease the suffering of others, then we're doing the work of God in that. That that's, that's the most godly thing that you could be doing, could be to bring goodness to a situation where there is suffering because really that's that's the message of the gospel that where we were suffering unto the point of eternal death because of our separation from God that that's where God came in and was present and has the promise of bringing us back into full union with who he is and who he created the world to be. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.